Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, she's a single mom, emotional abuse, and life coach and podcast host. It's Jessica Knight. How are you doing today, Jessica? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what did you like doing growing up? I'm from Queens, New York. So I was born in Whitestone, Queens, which is not on the subway line. Um, and I grew up walking everywhere as my in my childhood because I was I hated buses from a very early age. Um, I lived with my grandparents, which I feel like is the answer to your next question is like that was what I liked doing is hanging out with them when I was younger. I played cards with them. Um, I learned poker from a very early age. I um, also spent a lot of time just helping them and just like, you know, like doing dishes and things like that. And that's like truthfully what I enjoyed because I, I feel like I had that one-on-one time with them that many people don't have. The bond that you had with your grandparents, was that something that you still think about today as you got to experience that? Every day, every day. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about them. Um, there, my, my daughter keeps coming in my office, but I had literally like my grandma's, one of my car, grandma's cards right on my desk. I think I moved it to prevent it from becoming a coloring book, but <laughs> um, but yeah, every day. And it like, it has definitely given me a lot of strength throughout my life. Growing up, what was the biggest thing they taught you? They, uh, they, they, there's two things. One was respect just in general, you know, like for each other, for spaces, for, um, how we show up in the world, for like how we dress, like things like that. Like they definitely taught me what that meant. And, and also, you know, in their, um, conversation, like the, I would watch them speak to everyone in the neighborhood you know because like I mean everybody was around the same age as far as like their age like everybody was like a post-world war ii vet of some kind and so just respect for other people and I think the second thing is personal accountability um to this day I do the dishes before I go to bed every night that is definitely something that my grandma taught me of like you don't want to wake up and have this feeling you know this is one thing that you can do to prohibit that feeling um but I think like some of those little tiny things just really stuck with me you talked about your grandparents and how everyone in the area is similar and they can't same age my grandmother she could talk to anyone she could just meet them at a grocery store and just talk to them and like they've known each other and I've kind of taken that similar kind of mindset as just get, get to know everyone, like yeah. talk, because you never know, they might have some interests that are alike, you might learn something new. So the things that you learned from your grandparents, I can take from my experience with my grandparents, because they have been such a big part of my life that I want to learn as much as I can from them, because they yeah. came from a different time than where we are today. Yeah, absolutely. As you're growing up, what kind of activities did you like doing? Was there any passions that you found as you were growing up? Um, I was very much a loner growing up. So I think that I want to, I almost want to say no. Like I didn't really have any of that. Um, I, I, I tried to be one of the kids that like we really, was really good at sports. Like I would sign up for, everything I played basketball for a while but I didn't have some of like the parental support in terms of you know how like I think it was really hard for me to see everybody else's parents at the games and mine weren't 
um, or like didn't care, like didn't care, like to help me, you know, learn how to actually shoot the basketball, you know, or things like that. So I, I, I almost, um, when I reflect back on my childhood, I almost think I tried to like fit myself in a lot of different boxes that I didn't fit in. You know, I was somebody who was like emo one year, goth the next year, like a little bit of a wigger the one after that, you know, like, it's like, I definitely didn't know who I was um, until I think I got older and started to put work into that. Were you someone that was like shy? It was hard to like make friends or talk to other people. And that kind of brought that isolation to you. I wasn't necessarily shy. I've always had a big mouth. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I definitely was, um, tip, uh, I didn't have any confidence. So I would be afraid. I would be afraid to talk to people. Um, I would be afraid of saying the wrong thing. You know, I'd be af- like, so there was a lot of fear there and I kept to the people that made me feel I think safe or what I defined as safe Mm -hmm. at the time and I really didn't I didn't expand too much until like later in high school when I got a group of friends essentially you know like I just sort of like I started dating somebody and I ended up meeting like all his friends who became my friends for a very long time and that made me feel like I could be me a little more when you met that group of friends, did you feel that a new persona came out? Like a new kind of person that maybe a lot of people didn't see before? I think it was, I never saw myself as like an attractive person. And I think they made me feel like, oh, like people could be, like guys could be interested in me. And that was like terrifying at the time, but also like it was interesting. And I think it like made me want to look at myself a little more. Like it made me want to, I remember I started to go to the gym at that time. So I was starting to do like tiny things for me. So I also became a vegetarian then and I'm vegan now, but I remember at that time it, it was almost like I started to just look at myself and take a little bit more control over myself, you know, like, okay, when I do this thing, this helps me feel good by eating these foods. I feel this way. Um, And so I think it just helped me even just listen to myself a bit more. Sometimes we're asked that fun question, what's that dream job of ours? As you were growing up, what was that dream job for you? It it changed a lot. When I was really <laughs> little, I was an actress. Um, and then, like, of course, I think I like every kid goes through, like, I want to be a cashier stage. Like, <laughs> like, a cashier is just so much fun. Um, when I was in high school, I the only thing I was good at was history. So I wanted to be a history teacher. Um, I was like the kid that got like failing grades and everything. And then like a hundred on the history region. So, like it made no sense. Um, and then um, like, I, and then I realized that I didn't want to be a teacher anymore. <laughs> a little too late, but I realized I didn't want to be, I, that wasn't my path. What about history did you like? Cause that it's like, sometimes like for me, it was math and everyone's yeah. like, how do you enjoy this? I go, to me, it's just interesting. Yeah. But what about that for yeah. you? Well, growing up in, with my grandparents, my grandmother came from Germany. So she came over like when basically like Hitler's forces bombed her house and her parents took her and put her on a boat and sailed her to America at 16. And so my whole life was hearing these stories. And then my grandfather fought in World War II. And so I had all his stories and he grew up, you know, at a time and had 10 kids uh leave 10 um siblings you know not all of them survived so I feel like it was 
I was always ingrained in story and like my grandma, I loved hearing stories about my grandma when she was little. And when I got into high school or I mean, even middle school, I just really like, that was a place where I felt like I could dive into the story. Like, even though it's factual, I guess, depending on like what history book you're reading, but factual and air quotes, um, it just was very, it was like super interesting to me. And then when I went to college and I learned more about the Middle East and the ways in which the Middle East is depicted in America. And then that became like another story to unravel. So I think I just got very interested in the idea of like, there are all these collective stories and all these things and we can learn about all these things. And it, it, it felt very expansive, I think to me. Talk about the college experience for you. What were you going for? And did everything that happened there you thought was going to happen or did you wish that maybe it panned out differently for you? I, so when I graduated high school, I couldn't get into a college. So I went to a community college. My grades were really bad. I had no money. My mom wasn't offering to pay for college at the time. I mean, she also, I was stuck. So I went to a community college and I knew that if I did not get a 4.0 or at least close to that, that I was not going to get into a, a college, mm-hmm. you know, like I needed, I needed a scholarship basically. So I went to community college and actually that was the first time I enjoyed school. I loved going to school. I loved everything about it. Um, I liked learning. I was doing, I was taking history courses, but I was also doing like science and math and psychology. And like, I was doing all the things and I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm actually a good student. Like if I apply myself and I, you know, care, I'm actually a great student. Um, cause I'm neurotic. <laughs> and then, um, so I got a 4.0. And then I got um, like a 75% ride to the new school in Manhattan and I went for history. And so I was attracted to the new school because it's not a school that focuses on test taking. It's a school that focuses on like y- you and your philosophy and the way that you see the world and like everything was papers. And that's where I like I would thrive because I'm not a good test taker. I definitely get anxiety and I definitely don't find the purpose of them a lot of the time, but I did love diving into, you know, a philosophy book or things like this. And I, I, I had to work full time while I was in school. So I didn't get a lot of the social interactions uh, that a lot of people did. Like I was bar, I was bartending and waitressing literally from the day that I moved into like my apartment that year. I didn't dorm. So I feel like I missed out on some of the the social things that you learn by being in a college. Like I, to this day, still have problems living with people, you know, like I've never, because I don't know how to adapt. Like I've mm-hmm. kind of, like, again, I've always been an aloner. Um, like I literally joked to my boyfriend that we should have two separate bedrooms when we move in together. <laughs> um, and he's like, yeah, no, we probably should. <laughs> um, but I think that, I think I missed out on that and like, but I really did still like, I kept that I'm a good student. If I apply myself, I can do things. And that really, I think I really, that really helped me like form a little a part of my identity of like, I like doing well. Do you feel working full time while you're going to school, it kind of prepared you for the workforce after college where sometimes where people who don't work, they don't prepare themselves for, okay, this now I have to work a nine to five. 
it's not fun and games 24 seven. Like it's usually is in college. Yeah. So the new school is different in the sense of um, like my, I had friends that went to other colleges outside of the city and the new school was different because like the dorms are literally in apartment buildings, you know, and like our, um, we don't have like really a campus. Like there's one building that's ours. And then we literally have like two floors of another building or two floors over here. So it's just like, it's like you're like living in the city, but I visited friends that went to like some of the state universities of New York and they were like a campus and you're like in this like zone, you know? And so I think, so like socially I had like a few friends, but I definitely could not do the things that they were doing. You know, like if they were like, we're just going to go out today, you know, like after school or something like that, I, I, I 90% of the time had to go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had one day off and on that day off, I typically had to catch up on schoolwork and I kept some of those friends, but I think it definitely prevented me from having some of those like lifelong friends that you get in college that I noticed some of my peers did have. What was the first job for you? Once college was all done, what was that? Did you go into something with history? Did you do education? Things like that? And no, I had a meltdown. Um, I, in my, I was one, I was half a semester away from graduating with a master's degree. The new school offers a program that if you are, you can apply to start your master's in your final year of bachelor's, if you're planning on doing it at the new school, and then you start taking graduate courses that apply to your, to both. And so I got into that program and then decided I don't want to do this anymore because I was like looking around at all these people that found that made like academia their career. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to argue a point for the rest of my life. Like I don't want to have to write papers for the rest of my life. Like I would want, my thesis advisor was uh, exhausted and I just would like look at her and I was her RA and I would just be like, Oh my God, like I don't, this is not what I, I don't, I can't do this. Like, and first of all, I hate presenting. So like, I don't, (laughs) I don't want to do this. So I did not go into that field. I tried to get a few jobs being a subject matter expert. So I remember I applied to a job that was in Afghanistan and it was an internship and they didn't hire me because I didn't have any previous experience. And I was like, how was I supposed to get previous experience in Afghanistan being a subject matter expert? Um, and so I tried to do that a little bit, but I was bartending. I just, and I continued to do that. I was making like, I was making a lot of money. I was probably making at that time, like $500 a night. Um, in just, you know, it was easy. And then I was teaching yoga. I had gotten trained to be a yoga teacher throughout, like, I think one of the summers in between college and I was teaching yoga all around Manhattan and I was making decent money doing that as well. I was teaching, um, inside public schools and that that was amazing because I taught almost every grade and I also was teaching adults but I just wanted to do that for a little while and I it it took a while for me to feel like I want to do something with my degree because doing something with my degree was actually like pretty difficult Mm -hmm. um at the time I did sign I was like all right if I want to do something I probably need to learn Arabic so I signed up to learn Arabic and then the building got a like they found asbestos in the building and they had to like shut down the classes and it was like ridiculous but I was like all right this is my sign to just take a break <laughs> and do my thing 
you talked about doing a lot. And did that ever play an effect in your personal life? Did it ever kind of clash where you didn't get to have that personal life because you were studying, working, doing so much on your schedule? Yeah, I was a perpetual canceler. So I would say yes to a lot of things that I couldn't realistically do because I wanted to do them, but then I couldn't do them. Like, yeah, I'll come to do this thing with you. And then I'd be like so overwhelmed with school. Um, At the time I was in college, I found Adderall. And so I would stay up all night working and then just kind of crash the next day. And I would be like, this is not healthy. Um, So I need to find new coping mechanisms for dealing with all this stuff. I have a visitor. One second. (laughs) All right, we're back. She's hungry. Um, And so I, I feel like it really, it was really hard for me and it caused me to, I think, stay in situations like, or like date people that were not the best for me because I like couldn't meet other people and I wasn't going out. And I don't, I don't have some of those lifelong friendships that a lot of people have. And I do think it's because of kind of like my situation. You mentioned dating the wrong type of people. Were, is it more that you kind of just wanted to find someone to like talk to or get to know because of not having those lifelong friendships where you wanted to meet someone? Yeah, I was in a pretty toxic relationship for about six years on and off out of high school I had someone who like we were just very we always gravitated towards each other and but it was you know now I would I would name it as like breadcrumbing when you just sort of like you like sprinkle love on somebody and then like um I, but I was always there because I well, didn't have anything else like and I also didn't have anything to compare it to and I couldn't let it go and it was super super toxic like he would just basically decide when he wanted to be around me and when he didn't and that was that sucked um and that definitely took a huge toll on my self-esteem and it also took a toll on my relationships because I felt so dysregulated by that that I would show up for that but not my friendships because I was always trying to make this thing feel okay and it the friendships were kind of always there so I was like all right well I'll do this at another time but I didn't have a lot of time to give like I didn't have a lot of time and I would constantly find myself in like this cycle and then I always was canceling on people just because I was exhausted. Going through those toxic relationships, what did it teach you about yourself? Did you learn a new skill or something that you knew that in the future, I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm going to become even stronger from this. To tell you the truth, I didn't learn that lesson until about two years ago. Okay. Three years ago. Yeah. And so, um, I'm 35 now. So yeah, that was a lesson that it probably, it took me probably about 30 years, if not more to learn. Um, my, the way that I tell my story sometimes is that I, I used to always say this and like, I would say it with confidence that like, I like assholes. Like (laughs) I go for assholes. That's my thing. You know, I like guys that are like, have like arm muscles and like can go tit for tat for me. But the truth was, was like, I literally was a magnet to narcissists. Like, I like, that's what it was, is like, because I would go for that guy over and over again and get burned over and over again, because they weren't prioritizing me or our relationship. They were never choosing me over their friends. They, they, 
you know, I've dated people that only liked me if I showed up the way that they wanted me to show up, meaning like if I was dressed the way that they wanted me to, and if I didn't like express my personality, you know, the way that I want to. And that I didn't, yeah, I didn't learn that lesson until much later. Instead, I kept wondering what was wrong with me my whole life or like, why do I keep finding myself in this pattern? Um, I actually thought I overcame it when I was around 25. I, when I look back at that time, there was this guy that I met on a social, in a social sports league. And I was like, almost like immediately attracted to him. And he kind of felt the same, but then he was too nice. Like, I hate to say it that way, but (laughs) he was so nice and so caring and like would have done anything for me. And I totally pushed him away. And in earn and like basically like getting that relationship back and like it it really forced me to look through how shallow I was being and work on that stuff. And so I, I successfully got through that. Like I stopped going for like, I think the, you know, the material, what somebody looked like, I started looking way more on their personality, but I still was pretty committed to somebody that could go like tit for tat with me that had a more like, I guess, abrasive personality. I thought that's what I liked until I learned that that's like very much not it. (laughs) Would you say that the person that you went for was the complete opposite of what you look for in a friend where they may not be that abrasive kind of that tit for tat for you kind of person Would that, was it two complete different people that you were friends with versus the person that you were going for to try to find a relationship with? Uh, no, I, it was the same. It was the same. same. Yeah. I like, I, I mean, I have friends that I have a few friends that I'm super close to that. We don't have that, but like, I am a sarcastic person. So, you know, when we're laughing, we're having fun and stuff like that, like that comes out. But I think I definitely also found that in a lot of friendships too not saying that those friendships are the healthiest either you talked to, or during this interview your daughter came in what's the biggest thing your daughter has taught you about being a mom oh boy <laughs> <laughs> well I think so I mean that there's no one answer to that question yeah um, so maybe I will talk about the most recent thing that I've learned is that Well, I think, I mean, I I feel like I have to say that I never knew I could love somebody as much as I love her. I didn't know that there's like this endless supply of like love that you have. I never felt that from somebody else. And I never felt like I gave that to somebody else. Most recently, she's taught me, like, I want to say it's patience, but it's really more like emotional dysregulation. Like she... Is five. She's going to kindergarten. Her dad lives in another state. She kindergarten is a lot of change for her. She has friends from her preschool that are in different classes that she doesn't quite understand all the time. You know why everybody can't be together. I am her um, emotional support. I'm her physical support. I, you know, I'm her mental support. Like I'm everything. And I think what she's taught me is that like. I sometimes I need to look at her and I could see like, you know, adults, when they get dysregulated, they're all over the place. Mm -hmm. And when she gets dysregulated, she's all over the place. And sometimes it's like, she's just a disaster. And the way to respond is not to be like, Hey, do this, 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 and this, you know, it's like, 
I really need to unlock a different level of patience and see there's so much more going on for her than just like what's on the surface. You know, it's not like I'm hungry. You didn't make me food. It's I'm having a really hard time. I'm really tired. I've had to keep all my emotions in check today with the various teachers and the various students. And now I'm with you, my safe person, and I'm going to fucking explode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When you were growing up with your grandparents, are you going to try to kind of model how they were as an influence to you as you are to your daughter? Are you going to use those same aspects and situations? Um, I try and teach her. I do try and teach her responsibility. You know, I try and teach her that we do need to like take care of things. She's actually just opened the door. So she must say, <laughs> it's about the dog. <laughs> All um, good. So she, um, uh, I, I more so, I don't know if I'm modeling some of the same things, but just uh, the one thing I took away from my grandparents is the amount of like together time that we had. And Mm -hmm. I spent a ton of time with my kid, obviously, I mean, any single mom does, but it's almost like, well, but what, what do we do with that time? So like my grandma and I, we would play cards a lot, you know, my kid's too young for that, but I'll color with Charlotte, you know, when Charlotte is frustrated or angry like sometimes I do try and find other ways that we can get to the emotion rather than just being like you know Mm -hmm. it's black or white um so and and I I think Charlotte actually has a lot of my grandma in her like she's a very old little Charlotte's my daughter's name she's a very old soul and she likes to just like be home you know like she likes to just be in her space and like do her thing so I almost like I don't have the closest relationship with my mom, but I want my daughter to feel like she's close to my mom. So I do prioritize that because I know what that did for me. You are an emotional abuse and life coach. How did you get into that business? And what's the biggest thing you do to help others in their situations? Um, Okay, so I got into it actually on accident. Um, we mentioned before a toxic relationship that I was in when I was in my young twenties. And the truth is I didn't really ever have any good examples of love in my life. So I really lost myself to that relationship. I, I know what love addiction is now, but I think that back then I probably was like a bit addicted to the cycle, the toxic cycle that we were in. Um, it was a relationship that like our Facebook relationship status literally said it's complicated. Like we never actually, um, it, and like to others, it was funny, but to me, it was the truth, you know, and I basically took on the task of like, I am lost. Like I, this has really taken me the F down, you know, people would look at me and be like, you've been through so much in your life. How could you? how could this be the thing that takes you out? And it's like, it just freaking did. That's it. You know? And I was super depressed and I wasn't into medication at that time for depression or anything. So I basically did every possible thing that you could do to get over somebody. I was going to psychics. I was going to a life coach. I was doing an immense amount of yoga. I was going to different trainings over the weekend um, I would be, I, I would get my, and I was going to like therapists and I just got to the point where I was like, I'm so freaking tired of just somebody sitting there being like, uh-huh. And me leaving and being like, I got nothing out of this. Like I once, I wanted somebody to be like, this is why you're in your way. Mm-hmm. Well, let's work on it. And so I, 
I was a yoga teacher then and I had Saturdays off from the bar. And so I would go out, I would basically signed up for a different yoga workshop every Saturday. And the purpose of that was truthfully to keep me busy because I was so, again, in the cycle of like, I don't want to reach out to this person because now we're broken up. We're trying to do no contact and I just couldn't do it. And so I ended up signing up for one that ended up being yoga and life coaching. And I had no idea. I had no clue that that's what it was. And so I remember they got to like the part two of that um, workshop and they're like, okay, so now we're going to like look at our lives. I'm like, wait, what? Like (laughs) what's happening? And I felt blown away. Like I felt like, holy shit. Like I, I left that workshop feeling like, I just put a bandaid on a lot of issues with my mom and I need to address them. Like, that's what I felt. And I was like, and if I, and then I signed up for like a weekend with them um, to just basically unpack my life. And that's how I got into it in the first place was actually just being coached. I was, and that it did help me break away from the relationship and it did help me notice what, what was going on for me. And I established more healthy patterns and I started to have some personal integrity I approached my drinking too. I wasn't an alcoholic by any means, but I didn't have healthy drinking patterns and I needed to get that on a leash as well. And after that, I was in yoga training. Like I mentioned in college, I hated presenting. And so being a yoga teacher, you're in front of the room. And that actually was really hard for me. It was really hard for me to show up in the, you know, in like the center of the room and guide these people. And so I ended up, taking that on as like a project of like, I, it wasn't more so that I'm going to learn public speaking. It was more, I'm going to learn how to authentically show up for this because I'm trying to do it how they're doing it. I need to learn how to do it for me. And then other people started to see that, or they saw my battle and then they started to uh, ask me for support. And that was how I first started life coaching was I was literally helping yoga teachers teach in the room. And then of course life happens and we would, like have sessions on that. And then I started taking on clients and then I went to get certified from that particular school and ended up not wanting to go through their certification program from the way that they ran it. And I, at that time, so this was, I want to say this was about over 15 years ago, life coaching wasn't regulated. So, I mean, it's, it's not very regulated now either, but there's at least like ethics and boards and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now at that time it wasn't. So I could just life coach and I was, I had enough life experience to do that. But once I, I, I moved to Boston to try and make the Middle East dream happen at one point, it did not happen. I was trying to be a full-time life coach at the time while I was doing that, that I wasn't making any money doing it here. Like I, I think I moved here, I moved to Boston with a lot of ideas and none of those ideas came to fruition. And so I ended up in jobs, like in like corporate jobs, like jobs that I never, I I'm not meant to work in an office environment. <laughs> and, but I was, again, my workaholism kind of came in, I, a good student came in and I could do it. And then every day I was leaving and I was like, it's not what I want to do. And I still had coaching clients at this time. Like I still had people that still wanted to work with me from years before. And I eventually bought, like, I just like, I was like, all right, in order for me to feel like I can do this, I do feel like I need a solid certification for me to say, I'm a life coach. I feel like I need to be certified and have some tools and skills 
more than what I know. And so I did go, I like signed, I, I was, I did this walking to the train to go home. I was so, it was a day at work that I was so pissed off. I just signed up and then I lied to my job and told them that I have to go to the, I like made up doctor appointments for the days that I had to be in the certification program. Um, and then I signed up, I got certified. Um, and it took me a while to move into the emotional abuse space. It, at first I was coaching millennials. I mean, I still do coach millennial, mostly women. Um, I'd have some men too, but just basically on like the same issues that I was going through on how do I start to show up for myself? How do I get my drinking on hold? I hate my job. What do I, you know, but I don't know what I want to do. Like those types of things. And I got into the emotional abuse space after I got out of a really toxic relationship. And I always was, I always was attracting, attracting people with tough relationship issues. Like I always had people that had these really complicated things. And eventually I started to see like, all right, I'm actually, because I have been through a lot of this on my own, I understand how hard some of this is and how hard it is to get through it. And so I ended up getting a certification in narcissism and emotional abuse. Um, And it's a trauma informed coaching certification and decided that that was going to be a bit more of my niche moving forward. When you're working with clients, do they feel that bond or that trust in you because you've gone through similar experiences like they've been going through? Then someone that that hasn't gone through the experience before and they're telling people how to do it without having that prior experience and knowledge of being in that. Yes. Like people have said to me, and sometimes this happens on the first call, that they haven't had a conversation with somebody that felt and they felt like they were heard until that. And I know what that feels like because people that have not gone through emotional abuse, narcissistic abuse, abuse in general, verbal abuse, they're not really going to understand what this does to your psyche, to your system. Um, Abuse is a cycle. And once you get stuck in that cycle, you start to normalize a lot of things. And I know that, you know, and so something like no contact for somebody, you know, an outside friend might be like, you just got to cut it off. Mm -hmm. But then I understand what that does to that person's nervous system. You know, I understand that they're kind of addicted to this at this point, that there is like, like there's, there is a cycle that's happening that it's, it's not that easy. It doesn't mean that we can't do it, but it means like, let's find another way and let's normalize their experience so that they stop feeling like they're an alien or that they just can't like this, this is so hard for them. No, I totally can understand that because when you're saying like someone saying, just cut it off, well, that might be easy for them because there's no triggers that that person that they're trying to cut off has for them. Like right. for someone that's going through that situation, it could be a photo that they see online. It can be something in the house that they might, they bought together and things like that. So there's a lot of more to it than just saying cut off because I think nowadays with social media, it's like people can talk all over the place and you might try to cut them off, but you can block them, but somehow they pop up somewhere else. And it's like, well, this ain't working. So I think it's, I see the value in a person that if they've experienced what I've gone through, I can trust them a little bit more than someone that hasn't gone through it because they don't know where I'm coming from in those situations. Yeah. And yeah. And it's, I always say the rules are breaking up 
with somebody who has been through abuse or narcissistic abuse or just abuse in general, they're different. Those, there's, there's different things you need to work through than working through just a breakup for, with a relationship that just isn't working anymore. Throughout your professional career, what has been the biggest thing you've learned about yourself? Have you found something new in you? I think that the biggest thing that I learned has been that I do have a unique way of explaining some things and that I I need to trust that and lean into that and that there's value in that as well. You know, in my profession, there's a lot of people doing the same thing. You know, you just named mm-hmm. it. You know, anybody can jump on TikTok and say something. So it does make me feel sometimes that I my voice isn't loud or that I won't be successful or maybe what maybe I'm just all this is bullshit, you know, <laughs> but I think I've learned that I need to there's value in me trusting my voice, but also that my voice has value, you know, and that I I can Maybe I understand something slightly different than somebody else does, but there's value in me explaining it. And there's value in the way that I talk about it. It was actually one of my biggest hangups with, with starting my own podcast was I was like, this, this space is crowded. Why am I even doing it? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, and then I started to get some emails from people and I made them really short at the beginning, or I talk about only topics I wanted to talk about at the beginning. I mean, I still kind of only talk about the things that I'm, passionate about but I found that a lot of people were they would say the way that you said that thing made me realize that this was abuse or like you know I needed to hear this one thing and if I helped one person it was worth it you know it was worth putting the time in to do the podcast and that's that's helped me started to grow confidence especially in this type of like this type of work you know what I mean when you're when you're talking to somebody and you have to tell them that these are signs of abuse and they're not seeing it. It's, it's really freaking hard because you're about to kind of blow up their world a little bit, you know, and I have to be able to trust that within myself, you know? So it's, I think that definitely has helped me just feel like I, 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 I know what I'm seeing and I can trust that. I think everyone should be able to um, share their voice, especially podcasting in a crowd space. I can relate yeah. because it's like 5,000 podcasts have launched just today. And I always feel that if I have a different meaning on why I'm doing the show, then oh, I'm trying to get all these followers. Oh, I'm trying to make all this money. I think it makes me more passionate about it. And I can see that with you where you have a meaning on why you're doing your show or why you're doing your coaching business because of the impact that you want to bring and helping others. So it shows the passion and just your attitude is so positive in that way. So it's exciting to see what you're doing when there's a lot going against us now with all these shows, all these coaches out there, but just getting to know you in the short amount of time, I see the passion that you have for what you do. Yeah. I don't want anybody to feel alone. Like I, that's really it. Like I, I don't want anyone to feel as alone as I felt. I don't want anybody to feel like that they're crazy. You know, I don't want anybody to feel, I remember I had somebody say to me, you just keep labeling everything as abuse. It's not abuse. And I was like, yes, it fuck. Like, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on here. You're good, you're good. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm from New York. I can't help it. But I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like, yes, it is. You know what I mean? And if we stop, if, if we go through the, our world, just being like, oh, that wasn't it. 
It's like, how many people are going to be stuck in these toxic relationship cycles that, you know, and I know what it feels like to be in it and feel like, so like, so freaking low, you know, and I don't think I'm ever going to be able to like unsee that part of me that was once so defeated just because I was being gaslit and all this stuff, you know, and so I don't want anyone else to feel that way. And that's why I, I do what I do. And that's also why I, I decided to get trained. And it was the same mindset as before. Of like, I, I want to, I want to make sure I have skills and tools. It doesn't mean I can't lean on my own experience, but I also want skills and tools because this is trauma. You know, this is PTSD. And, and I, if I feel like it's that deep and that big, then the people that come to me will also see it as that deep and that big in their life. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, both personally and professionally? Um, personally, I, so travel is my biggest outlet. I love traveling, been all over the world with my daughter. We go, but pre COVID, we would go on trips like a few times a year. Now that she's in school and I'm stuck to a calendar, I can't <laughs> do that as much, but we are going to Turkey for two weeks in the summer and I'm super oh, excited wow. about that. Um, but she, um, my personally, I want, my goal is to literally see every country. Um, and the, the number, my number one is Iran actually, because that's where my, that's where I did all my master's work in. But now is not the best time to go there. Um, but I eventually want to go. I want to see every country. So per, like personally, I want to see every country. At one point, I would like to buy an apartment. I, I don't know that I'm a house person. I would like to buy an apartment and stop moving around. And professionally, I I currently mostly work one-to-one and I want to work one-to-many. I do feel like this is the space that I'm going to be working in for a long time. I would really like to be more of a subject matter expert on some of these things and to be able to help people like more people. And I'm, I'm working on those things now, like establishing, you know, building courses and writing eBooks and figuring things out. But I think that this space the space doesn't have that many people talking about how to work through it. And I hope to continue to stay in it for a while. I'm not somebody who thinks of, you know, I'm going to retire at this age or I'm going to do this. It's I'm, I am, I probably will work until I just can't work anymore. That's, that's how I've always been. And I don't ever imagine not doing that. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? I think, I think a lot of us can use our experiences and our past to, for the reason why we don't move forward. I very easily could have done that. You know, I def, I definitely could have been the, I am you know, I am the girl that grew up in an abusive home and then I ended up not, you know, being able to graduate high school and then college and I worked throughout college. Like I could really lean on a sob story if I wanted to, but I had to learn in going through it that I actually have to show up for myself and that that story is part of me and that little girl is in there. But there's also somebody in there that has to wake up, you know, and and can work through these things so that I can feel stronger and to work and not let that story define me. It's almost like the, deciding that something else is going to define me. De- deciding that I'm going to be, um, I'm going to take responsibility for my life. 
And there's, I tell this to people all the time, whether they come to me for millennial life crisis, or if it is emotional abuse, that you need to establish the, a few things in your life that make you feel like you. And my, um, well, actually, I didn't even think about this when you asked the question before. My grandma, she always used to have her nails done because she would say that that's like her dignity because she was like looking at them all day, you know, what she's doing <laughs> things. And so I certainly feel more me when I have something simple like that. Or and like, for me, it's a workout. Um, it is like a five minute meditation. It is, you know, my skincare routine for some people, it's different. You know, some people don't need to work out every day or they don't need, you know, some of these things. But for me, that's what I need. And I always encourage people to figure out what are those things? Because when you show up for yourself, you're, you're literally teaching yourself that you have, that you have personal integrity and that you can feel proud. And that is going to help you move forward. Well, Jessica, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you for having me. This was great. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe to all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full length of video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You. Bye.